appreciated Mike talking about the hands of those that, as we pass the trays and different life stages, and it just reminded me, we do, pretty much on a weekly basis, we need uh, help with serving communion. So guys, if you would check in back there with one of the guys holding a clipboard this morning at first service, I was served communion by one of our teenagers, Mr. Jack French, and I appreciated him stepping up and kind of setting an example, and so... Look for ways to serve when you come in each Sunday morning and help us serve communion there. A couple other things. One or one other thing I wanted to mention. So in the bulletin, you'll see a little deal about a class that uh, Lisa Kilgore is starting here at the end of the month. You might remember her from the video a couple of weeks ago as she shared her story. Well, she's going to offer uh, this class, which will get you in touch with some of the same resources that helped her, uh, that God used to transform her. So... Look for that, and if, if that's something you're interested in, make sure to sign up uh, for that. Well, welcome back to the Body and Soul series. I hope that it has been helpful to you so far as we get into God's Word and what it says about the amazing creation that is us. Uh, we're not just patting ourselves on the back about this. We're saying it's affirmed there in the Bible that when God made us, He made something very good. In each one of us, there is a, a mixture, a coming together of spirit and physical that is unique in all creation that makes you special. And that means, among other things, that God cares how we take care of this investment He has made in us by giving us a body and a soul. Um, so we've been talking about that. And honestly, I think there are a lot of teachings and commands in Scripture that have kind of been neglected and so hopefully we are pulling those back into focus because a lot of that stuff is really, really helpful to us as we think about how to take care of this investment God has put in us. And after all, what he wants for us to do ultimately, bring glory to him. Serve humanity. Be his instruments for justice and blessing in the world. So that's what we've been talking about. Um, and in the next two weeks, we're going to talk about what I think may be the most exciting part of the series. So kind of part one, part two, um, you're getting half a sermon today, okay? Thank me later for that. Next week, you'll get the other half. But we're going to talk about self-control, which is a, a tool that God can use to help you realize your full potential, whether it's talking about your spiritual life or other career goals or family goals. Self-control is talked about a lot in the Scripture, and it's something that God has given you to help you realize your full potential. Because self-control is not just, in the Bible, it is not just a you thing. Self-control involves a partnership between you and God. It is, after all, a gift of the Holy Spirit, we find out in Galatians chapter 5. So this week we're going to talk about the you component, all right, of self-control. And next week we will talk about how the Holy Spirit helps in that process of self-discipline or self-control. But here we go. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. I want you, if you would, to speak this passage aloud with me from, again, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Speak this with me. God did not give us a spirit that makes us afraid, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. God gave us this, amen? He gave us a spirit of love and power and, yes, 
a spirit of self-control. So it's a gift from God to help us realize our full potential. So there's this partnership between you and the Lord, and we'll talk about our part today. Now, I want to be very, very clear about something this morning. Self-control is the X factor, right? I mean, all of our talk of things I want to change about myself, right? Physically or spiritually or, or my ambitions or whatever. Things I want to do in life, it's all just talk, right? It's all just daydreaming and fantasy unless I've got self-control. It is essential. It's that building block upon which everything else comes afterward. And so it is with good reason that in the Scriptures, when we get that beautiful list in Galatians chapter 5 of all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, self-control comes where in the order? It's the last one. It's the last one. Now, in a race, like a relay race... You call that last runner, right? You call that last runner the anchor. And that is where you put your strongest athletes. And I think it is not by, by accident that Paul puts self-control as the last gift of the Holy Spirit. Is he saying that it is more important? Well, we've got what? Love, joy, peace, faithfulness, patience, kindness, uh, gentleness. Is he saying that it's more important than love, for example? No. He's not saying that. But it is the strongest of the gifts. Because without self-control, you're not going to be a loving person. Without self-control, you're not going to be a kind or a gentle person because you're going to lose it, aren't you? But with self-control, all of those other fruits of the Spirit become manifest in your life. All right, let's get to the text. 1 Corinthians 9 Verses 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore... I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man who is beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. Now, one of the reasons I really like this passage is that I am a sports fan. I think a lot of you probably are too. And this is full of sports imagery, isn't it? When Paul is talking about self-control, he goes to the world of athletics. He talks about runners. He talks about training. He talks about the, the trophy or the prize. Uh, he even moves into boxing a little bit. And he says, I'm not shadow boxing. Uh, everything I do has a purpose to it because self-control is that X factor that's going to get me to the finish line. That's going to get me where I know God wants me to go. So I read an article this past week, actually, about one of my favorite athletes in the world right now. His name is Steph Curry. Have you heard of Steph Curry? 
The guy can shoot incredible self-discipline and a man who has accomplished so much in terms of leading his team to two straight NBA finals, leading them to a championship already in his young career. And I love to watch him play, and I'm amazed that a guy that, by all accounts, I've never met him, but by all accounts, he's, he's kind of average physically, they say, and that's what people love about this guy. He's physically, in terms of stature, pretty average, but yet he is amazing when you watch him play basketball. And so this article I was reading is from the Washington Post. And I love the title of the article. The article written about him is called The Hidden Price. The Hidden Price Steph Curry Pays for Making the Impossible Seem Effortless. The Hidden Price Steph Curry Pays for Making the Impossible Seem Effortless. So, and if you know anything about basketball right now and Steph Curry, you know not only does he dazzle people during the game, but folks actually show up early to a Warriors game wherever he's traveling around the state to watch him warm up, right? People want to see. I mean, his pregame ritual, his pregame training exercise is pretty much as famous as his actual performances in the game. His dribbling is simply amazing in those exercises. So wh whatever he does on the court, it's just pretty much jaw-dropping. Well, the article talks about the hidden price. It talks about the part of Steph Curry's basketball game that nobody gets to see. Steph Curry shoots about 2,000 shots per week. Okay? Just start doing the math. That's a lot of shots per week. He shoots at least 250 shots a day, and then he shoots at least 100 shots before a game. Um, if you ever meet him, and I would love to meet him someday, but they say his hands are gnarled and calloused. He has long, thin fingers, but his hands are rough like you would find on a, a carpenter's or a woodworker's or, or a builder or somebody because of all that he puts his hands through each week. And even after he was basically acknowledged the best shooter in the game, the article says that, quote, instead of resting, he embarked on a concerted effort to improve his range and reactions. And then they've got a quote from Curry in the article, pretty cool quote. He says, Curry says, practice is the alchemy that transfers effort into effortlessness during the game practice. It's the alchemy that transfers effort into effortlessness during the game, and he is obsessive about his training regimen. Uh, during his shooting sessions, he's shooting from different spots on the floor. If he doesn't hit at least five out of seven shots, he punishes himself with extra shots. When Steph Curry is practicing free throws, it's not enough for him to make the free throws. They must be a perfect swish, right? In his practice sessions, if it touches the rim, if it touches the backboard, he starts over. He is obsessive about his training. I remember back when I was a kid, we weren't worshiping Steph Curry because he was not even born yet, all right? But it was Michael Jordan. It was number 23, Chicago Bulls. He was the man. And the catchphrase back then that Nike used was, I want to be like Mike. 
And I remember as me and my buddies would play basketball, we all loved Michael Jordan, but one of my friends was obsessed. Had the red 23 Jordan Chicago Bulls jersey, wore the Air Jordan basketball shoes, which if he hadn't worn them and just kept them in the box, those would be worth a fortune right now. But anyway, that's another story. He tried to shoot like Michael Jordan shot, you know, to look like the same style. When he drove the basket, my buddy would put his tongue out because Michael Jordan would stick his tongue out when he drove the basket. And my buddy was a terrible basketball player. <laughs> he imitated virtually everything about Michael Jordan except the practice. <laughs> Except the obsessive training that Michael Jordan put in in order to become a great basketball player. Everything about Michael except the self-control. So he was a terrible basketball player. Back to the text. Here in the cold, hard, hidden price reality of training, of self-discipline, of self-control, we have the groundwork laid according to Paul for incredible results. And we're not talking about sports, although Paul uses that language. He's talking about life. He's talking about being a great dad. He's talking about having a great relationship with the Lord. He's talking about making a difference in your community for Christ. He's talking about being a success in life, wherever that is for you. And if you're going to shape up into this person that you can be, self-discipline is indispensable. And so Paul shares with us a few things about it that I think are incredibly practical for us. The first has to do with potential, all right? Potential. This is the difference between my buddy John and Michael Jordan. It is that self-control, this is on your outline this morning, only through self-control can I unlock my full potential. You want to learn Spanish? You're going to need self-control. You want to drop, drop 30 pounds? You can't do it without self-control. You want to pass the MCAT and get into medical school? Good luck without self-control. Self-control is, is the only thing. It, I mean, you abs indispensable if you're going to do anything worthwhile in your life. As Paul says there in verse 24, in a race, everyone runs, but only one gets the prize. So run to win. How do you do that? The one that gets the prize is the one that put in the hours. Is the one that changed their diet. John Collier, by the way, he was at first service. One of my buddies. A lot of people here have, at President Crest have run marathons or love to run marathons. He is constantly going from one to the next. He's always in training. He told me the other day he's already qualified for Boston of 2018. So this guy loves to run. And here's the thing. I could sign up for a marathon right? Anybody can sign up. Anybody can pay the entrance fee. Anybody can get the free t-shirt they hand out before the race. Anybody can get a bib with a number on it. Anybody can start a marathon. Not anybody can finish a marathon. Not everybody can get the prize. And Paul is saying here, run to win. Run to finish. For John Collier, I know that means waking up early. 
It means not getting the loaded chili cheese fries. It, mean, you know, it means a lot of things. It means self-discipline underneath all of that. By the way, the percentage of Americans, I ran across this this week, percentage of Americans who own running shoes but don't run. 87%, all right? 87%. Anybody can own running shoes, but that doesn't make you a runner, right? A lot of people want to be like Mike. A lot of people want to be like Steph. A lot of people, well, maybe I want to be like John Collier. Um, But wanting it and working for it, two totally different things. Two totally different things. As Russell Wilson says, the separation is in the preparation. The separation is in the preparation. So potential, your potential, everybody has it. It is unlocked only when there is self-control. And don't kid yourself, you have the capacity for self-control. Everybody is born with that capacity. We are gifted with that. And when we become disciples of Jesus, God gives us an extra measure of Holy Spirit-powered self-control. So beyond the potential, and we're going to talk about this more next week, beyond the potential, that second bullet point is the partnership. Right? And I promise we'll cash that out more next week. The partnership between you and God. As the passage said earlier that we read, God gave us, gave you a spirit of power, love, and self-control. And that's good news. You've got it. Now you need to grow it. You're born with it, but you need to develop it like any muscle. Self-control grows stronger and greater the more it is worked out, the more it is exercised. So that next bullet point there is practice. When it's put into practice, when it's trained, when it's exercised, it grows. I discipline my body. Uh, Okay, yeah, I can increase my self-discipline with training. And it says in verse 27, I discipline my body like an athlete training it. Training it. So don't say, I just wasn't born with self-control. Everybody's got self-control, but it has to be developed. We have a section of the church, in fact, a room at this church for people who have not yet developed it. It's called the nursery. I mean, you want to meet a person with no self-control? It's a person who is three weeks old. They have no self-control down here. They have no self-control up here. They have no self-control. But, it, but the seed is in there, and they can develop that. And you certainly, as a parent, hope they develop that. And God looks at you, and He knows what you are capable of, and God wants you to develop that self-control so that you can grow. That comes with training. You can, if you want to run a marathon, you can run a marathon because you have done the intense training. Now, here's the funny thing. You can run a marathon because you've done the intense training, and you do the intense training. Why? Because you're going to run a marathon. It goes both ways, doesn't it? Bottom line, self-control, self-discipline grows the more it is exercised, the more it is put into practice. Otherwise, it atrophies and shrinks. It was so cool last year, 2016, to get to see... Hundreds of you guys read through the Bible 
cover to cover. And a lot of you are reading through the entire Bible for the first time in your lives. That took self-control. When you got to Leviticus, right, that took self-control to keep going. When you got to some parts of Ezekiel, that took self-control. And here's the thing, what I hear from so many people, and some of you are still finishing up, by the way, finish the race, keep going, finish the race. But what I found really interesting was hearing from people how it got easier. And that was my experience, too. Once a habit becomes an entrenched, ingrained habit, whatever it is that you're trying to change about yourself, once it gets entrenched, it's easier. In fact, you almost feel like you need it, like something is missing. I didn't get up and run this morning, or I didn't get up and do my, ba- my Bible reading this morning. And you miss that. And that's because it's something that grows as we train it and as we practice it. And if you, by the way, on that Bible ring, yes, if you didn't finish, that's okay. Finish. Stay in the race. Don't quit just because your your friend finished three months earlier. Don't be discouraged by someone else's race. Run your race and finish what you started if what you started is a good thing. Let's put that on there, right? Reading the Bible is a good thing. Next. And this, we're going to get into a couple things that help you when you want to quit, all right? When you want to give up. The first one is purpose. It's purpose. I know exactly what I'm working to accomplish. I know my mission. There is nothing more encouraging when you're feeling down, when you're feeling tired, than knowing what your mission is Paul says in verse 26, I run with purpose in every step. I run with purpose. I know my mission. And related to that, also on this side of motivation, on keeping yourself encouraged and going, the prize, right? I can resist the lure of instant gratification because I know the value of the reward that I'm working towards. And in this case, he says, it's not just a trophy that's going to gather dust on your mantle. He says, we are working for a prize that will last forever, a crown of life that will last forever. Now, all of our races are different. My race is different from yours. Yours is different from your neighbor. Each one of us, though, has a race set out before us. Each one of us is going to encounter. That's why he writes this. He knows we're going to encounter setbacks. We're going to encounter challenges. We're going to have disappointments along the course. But we in Christ are all headed toward the same prize. Amen? In Christ, we are headed toward the same reward. And it's not an awesome pension. And it's not a a big bloated bank account. It is... Heaven, it is eternity with the Lord. That is our prize. That is the only prize that lasts forever. And you pay the price because you know the prize. You stay in the race when it's hard because you know the prize. And that motivates you. Every successful athlete knows this. Paul says any disciple of Christ knows this as well. 1 Corinthians 9.25, we do it. 1 Corinthians 9.25, we do it to get 
a crown that will last forever. That's how we stay in the race. When we want to quit, when we're tired, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. We put up with the pain. We deny ourselves at times. We do the work. That's what we do because we know the prize is worth a thousand times more than any price we are having to pay in this short life now. Now, the alternative... The alternative to being a person of self-discipline, of self-control, well, the Bible talks about that too. To be someone who is moved by instant gratification and the image is of a city without walls. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight: Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. We had Chuck and Darlene Colston here at first service this morning. They live and work uh, for the cause of Christ in Nairobi, Kenya. They work with street kids. Um, And I was talking to them. And in Nairobi, Kenya, anybody who has money, okay, which there aren't as many there as there are here in North Dallas. Newsflash there, I'm sure for you. Um, But anybody who has money, who has possessions, is going to have what? They're going to have a wall around their house. They may even put some, at least they did in Rio, they may put some broken glass into the cement on the top of that wall or some barbed wire or some surveillance cameras. Because if you don't have a wall around your stuff and you live in Nairobi, your stuff is gone. The Bible says that a person who doesn't have self-control is a lot like that. They have things of worth. They have things that matter to them, that are valuable to them, but those things are, poof, gone. If there is no self-control. The destroyers come in, and they take, they steal, and they wipe out the valuables. Does that make sense? In the ancient world, a city without walls was an open invitation to enemies who would come loot and destroy. And in the Bible, that is synonymous with a person who has no self-control. They're constantly in danger of being overrun by destroyers. So when it comes to discipline, Paul says we pay the price because of the prize. How do you keep on keeping on? when you're tired how do you press on when you get more bad news how do you keep going when life is beating you down how do you keep from quitting on the race that's been set out before you ultimately you do it to get a crown that will last forever ultimately you can keep on keeping on because the prize is greater than the price. Paul wrote these words to the church in Corinth about not quitting. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. And I'm going to read this, and then I want to go back and I want us to read it out loud. But let me just read this. Just listen first. Paul says, That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles, listen to this, our present troubles are small 
and won't last very long. Give that one an amen. Amen. Our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Okay, let's roll that back to the beginning. Read this with me if you would. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will be but the things we cannot see. Mm. We do not fix our gaze on the stuff we can see. That's how you keep from losing heart. You know what you're running for. And in this case, you know who you're running for, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we've spoken those words from Scripture aloud together, I just want to take a moment because I know, I mean, I read those prayer requests in the bulletin, and I know some stories going on here. Some of you are going through some really hard parts of the race right now. And what I want us to do, because we're a family, we're brothers and sisters in Christ encouraging each other And also, this year is a year of prayer. It's a year of reaching up together. And so what I want to do is just take a few seconds for us to close our eyes and just pray for anyone you know in this church family at Preston Crest who's going through one of those moments. It may be yourself. But let's pray for one another silently that those who maybe feel like their tank is empty, who feel like, I just can't go any further, let's pray that God will encourage them. Bow your head with me. And let's just take 10 or 15 seconds and pray. Father God, hear our prayer. We ask you to pour in extra measures of grace and strength and self-control, the discipline to keep on going to any brothers and sisters who are going through a really tough time right now. We pray this for them because, Father, we love them. We pray this for them because we want them to cross the finish line with us. We pray this for them because we want the glory of Christ to be manifest in their lives. And that can only happen if they don't quit. We pray this in the name of Jesus, one who didn't quit despite opposition, despite pain, one who continued on to the finish line and was raised from death to life. We pray this in his name. Amen.
So without self-control, without that discipline, no athlete ever masters their sport. For Christians, it is even more important because self-control unleashes the power of God in your life. Starting, like we said, is easy. Anyone can start a marathon. Anyone can start a diet. (laughs) Anyone can start a Bible reading program. Anyone can start waking up early to exercise. Starting is easy. Are you going to be a finisher? Are you going to be able to carry on? That's the difference. So let's pray for each other. Let's pray for our church family. Let's be a people of discipline, of self-control, who for the glory of Christ, we can finish those good races, those good causes that God has called, uh, uh, called us to be a part of. So this morning, you might just need prayers. Um, you need to get a little water, or a little refreshment, a little spiritual energy along the race because you're kind of worn out and you just need the prayers of this family around you. And we would love to be a part of that. Maybe this morning you're ready to start your race with Jesus Christ, to run with this mission, to run with this purpose, and to run knowing that this amazing prize of eternal life with the Lord is waiting for you. If you need to start that race and become a disciple of Jesus, you can confess his name this morning, be baptized into him. However you need to respond to the Lord, let's do that as we stand together and worship.